0: press. I was born in 1949 in August at Jackson Marr Hospital in uh, Mama, Florida.
1: This is my dad. As you can see, he's a little bit of a, well, he's himself. I came home to Philadelphia to celebrate my dad's 70th birthday and his retirement this year from being a professor in accounting. This is my first stop on my road trip across the country from Philly to Seattle, Washington. Long before me and my sister were born, long before he knew my mom, my dad had another life, a first life. In the summer of 1971, My father, at 21, the same age I am now, dropped out of college and set off with his young wife to start a new life in Seattle. Tune in, turn on, drop out. My dad crooned on repeat. For me, this journey was about learning what it meant to be a hippie, a rebel, a runaway of the counterculture in the 70s. I wanted to get to know a time period of my dad's life that I never understood as a mainstream cultural dropout.
0: Tune in, turn on, drop out. Is that your anthem? Open yourself to the possibilities of the universe. It's far greater than the narrow spectrum that you've been fed.
1: Many who grew up in the 60s and 70s decided to redefine life for themselves. In 1968, my dad went off to University of Florida, or as he likes to call it, Gatorland, for two years where he met Eileen, a beautiful, kind, empathetic young woman.
0: Busting the constraints of this straight-laced, Protestant, uh, you know, straight down the lane, uh, view of, of being alive with creativity and wildness and exuberance and Grateful Dead and psychedelia.
1: So when Eileen wanted to pursue a more meaningful, a more authentic life, it didn't take much convincing for my dad to follow.
0: We went down a uh, path that was unstructured and uncharted and unknown, so it was adventure. So I moved from Miami to Seattle. That was far away, magic dreamland. Uh, First went to Seattle, the astonishing thing after driving across the country was to find that at the end of the road was a city. That was very disappointing and very stressful to me.
1: They retreated to the woods an hour outside Seattle and my dad started building a cabin for them to live in.
0: We bought 10 acres in Duval, we paid $22,500 for 10 acres, Eileen and I, in 1972 or 3, in a garden, and a creek. King Salmon, and King, the, the best, the glorious, they are the kings, beautiful creatures. King Salmon came uh, swimming up our creek.
1: All throughout my childhood, I listened to stories of homesteading, while I ate my tofu and collard green stir-fry in the suburbs of Philly. And as I listened, I dreamed of leaving my boring suburban town to wander the world as an untethered explorer.
0: I had long hair, I had a beard, I had frayed clothing, um, I had an old car. Um, I would at times partake in the magic herb. Does that make me a hippie? My income was less than fifty thousand a year. Does that make me a hippie?
1: This is my dad's ex-wife, Eileen, but she goes by Davy now. Describing what their life was like,
2: he washed dishes and I waited tables in this little teeny restaurant in Duval, and. We lived a really good life. I remember the year Eric decided he was gonna kill a chicken for our Thanksgiving dinner. Oh my God. And he didn't kill it properly. And so here's this chicken that was half dead running around in the yard with these two innocent hippie people don't, not knowing what to do. Finally it dies and I'm picking the feathers and it didn't know how to do it right. Oh, it's just the most awful, awful thing. But that's kind of what it was like to live there.
1: When did you decide to get married?
0: Um, after she was pregnant.
1: <laughs> Are you serious? I did not know that. <laughs>
0: you asked me questions you want answers, you got one.
1: I sure was learning about the cavalier way my father had made decisions back then. Hippies, it seemed, did first, thought later
0: as I stoked the wood stove, um, uh, Eileen uh, arranged herself on the kitchen table and uh, bore Shoshana, and Dr. Gold uh, was there uh, reading the rise and fall of the Third Reich, and then he did his doctorly duties when the moment was appropriate, and soon we were left with a little baby, um, and uh, Dr. Gold went away, went home, and I made scrambled eggs for I Eileen. Mean, I have a picture of her uh, sitting in the bed, uh, eating the scrambled eggs that I made her.
1: I descend from this scramble egg-making hippie and naturally believe that the appetite for radical self-affirmation will be passed on to me like a hand-me-down pair of overalls. But for offspring of yesterday's flower children, things are different.
0: Kids needed to be home by dinner time, but where they were in the interim, no one knew or cared. Um, and you, you just weren't monitored. There was no cell phone, no GPS, no nothing.
1: I am so far from that kind of freedom at Stanford. The only time I ride my bike is through the manicured pavement of campus, rushing from class to class. I struggled to reconcile my dreams of hippiedom with the expectations of Stanford. My desire to hit the open road stems from this conflict. I wanted to be self-reliant and totally dictate my own days. My dad had always been wary of the rebellious child he created. So I asked him what he thought would happen to me on the road. I think we both knew it wasn't just the road I was asking about. I wanted to know if I'd be okay. You know, if he thought I'd turn out okay.
0: You're gonna have to get the reality teacher. The miscreant kids um, won't listen to the parents, and so they have to learn the lessons from reality teacher.
1: What the reality teacher consisted of? I wasn't quite sure. But it felt right. The road was calling, and I answered. Besides tasting the freedom the road offered, the other goal of my trip was to interview a bunch of my dad's old hippie friends, who still lived in Washington, and my half-sister in Seattle. I set off on the last day of August, thick, hot, and heavy air sending my hair in a million directions. A friend rode with me on the first leg, We cruised south through Delaware, Maryland, Virginia, and we headed north to Chicago. Rolling into the Windy City, I realized I hadn't thought about my dad a bit. I reveled in the not-yet-worn thrill of ordering drinks while swooning to saxophones and old-time jazz clubs. I left Chicago alone. I was chewing on my dad's words over and over. Where were you mentally when you went off to college?
0: In kindergarten.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I asked my dad what he was thinking about in college.
0: What kind of girls are there? What kind of drugs are there? You know, that's what interested me.
1: My dad was joking around, but the element of truth in his words was poignant. He hadn't thought much about what he was doing and why. There weren't many, if any, grand ambitions. I asked my dad why he dropped out of college.
0: Do you, you think I went to the office and said, oh, is that the box I have to check to drop out? No, I just abandoned it and you know left it behind in the dust. I didn't drop out. That's that's a conscious action. That would require intent. No, I just moved on.
1: I felt sort of silly. I'd mythologize my dad turned him into some paragon of the wonderlust. In my mind, I crafted a story that had him doing all the things I thought I never could, because, you know, I was a Stanford girl.
0: I did not set out to be uh, an accounting professor, nor a CPA, nor a business major. I would not have chosen that for myself, though I became that, but that was not something that I was going to do.
1: I recalled the last night I was home where we had looked at a photo album from the 70s I'd never seen before. I spotted a picture of him in his mid-20s. Large, round glasses, long, shaggy beard. Oh my god!
0: Oh, there's- You
1: were handsome.
0: I know. So I got these girlfriends.
1: <laughs> <laughs> on one page, a frayed picture of his ex-wife, Eileen, lying nursing her newborn child on the bed my dad had built while he cooks the scrambled eggs. It was the picture my dad had mentioned earlier. Missing pieces had fallen into place. It was not what I had expected. But after 12 hours of interviews, I was okay with my half-assed tippy father. Being on the road was different than what I had imagined. It wasn't quite as much adventure as it was just trying to survive and get through the hours of driving. At night, the four canvas walls of my tent, all that there was between me and the unknown, each sound sent me into my car where I locked the door and huddled with an unsharpened ax my dad had given me to, you know, protect myself. I wanted to feel independent and free, and I was, but that also meant constant vigilance. Driving alone for eight hours a day wasn't so glamorous or wild. Minnesota green swooshin' past, South Dakota prairie rolling by with the languid mid-September heat. The mythology of the open road I created was also falling apart for me. What had felt big, exciting, and symbolic now felt tedious. There was no more illusion. No more conflict. All that remained was the immediate questions. Where will I sleep? What will I eat? how many more miles to the next stop. It just was what it was, just like dad's life. This revelation was strangely calming. At a truck stop somewhere deep in Wyoming, I managed to connect to a straggling Wi-Fi network and I sent my half-sister Shoshana my proposal for my podcast. A couple days later, she sent back notes on the long pages I had drafted. Nudged into the margin of one line. He hasn't told you about his manic depression? No, he hadn't. But of course, it made sense. Depression had always lurked in the background of my family's story, but it had never been acknowledged. And this wasn't just depression. The word manic itself gave me goosebumps. I called my dad and asked about if he had been depressed.
0: My depression? What do you mean, my depression? Who said I was depressed? Shoshana. What does she know? More than I know. No, I... Well, I was probably depressed for uh, a time uh, because I was directionless and without hope.
1: My dad was disappointed with what his life had come to so far. He was scared he would never amount to anything. He had left college to pursue a life he envisioned as being wonderful, fulfilling, and in alignment with his values. The fallout of intense belief in this dream that never quite got realized was hopelessness. He was 36, phasing out of hippiedom, and all he had to show for himself was a failed marriage and two kids he needed to support.
0: Yeah, I recall days and days of bleakness. Yeah, it's true, it's back there. Very, very much in the past, but yeah, that, that, that did occur.
1: Did you think your hippie project was worthwhile?
0: No. Why not? What it had it gotten me? I really wanted to be seven years old and, and uh, get a chance to start over, start from scratch.
1: My dad pulled himself out of depression by going back to school for his PhD. It gave him direction. For the first time, I could appreciate my dad's journey appreciate that becoming the paragon of the state and conventional was good for him. I found myself in Craters of the Moon National Park in the middle of nowhere southwest Idaho, thinking this through. I tromped through petrified forests and volcanic rocks as a distant thunderstorm sounded. I was grateful to be independent, but I realized it came at a cost. It started raining as I pulled up in the parking lot of the last hike I wanted to do. What's a little rain, I reckoned as I popped on my rain jacket. I looked at the foreboding sky and then down the little trail that led to the lava tubes. It had been on my agenda all day to hike the lava tubes. I had nothing to prove to myself. I got back in my car. A minute later, it started hailing ferociously. I got to Seattle curious, anxious about what I would uncover, excited about sleeping in a real bed, uncertain about how it would be to spend time with my half-sister and her family. As the sun set over the Puget Sound, we chatted from her beautiful home in a well-off neighborhood of Seattle. Shoshana is a psychiatrist, and her husband works in developing blockchain technology. Earlier, she had mentioned that the size of her living room was the size of her childhood house. Her childhood stood in stark contrast to mine.
2: We were, like, living off the state and food stamps and WIC and, you know, like, going to food banks to get food. So, and then in my teenage years, the car was repossessed, the electricity was turned off.
1: Shoshana became a doctor because she didn't want to be (laughs) In a condition where destitution was a possibility, because she grew up in it.
2: There's something that happens when parents are living in that way, where they don't pay attention to the children, because they can't, because they have to, like, survive. They have to keep the family alive. And all of the intentional parenting is out the window.
1: I had asked my half-sister how she could forgive her parents. She had responded, it's kids having kids. What did they know? I talked to my dad's ex-wife, Davy, who is now the head of the Sufi healing order in North America. As we sipped tea, she showed me pictures of my young father and spoke of the life they had crafted together. People thought we looked like John and Yoko.
2: I had long curly hair, parted in the middle. He had big glasses this wild, crazy look about him. Eric and I used to go there with the kids to this place called the Front Door Inn up on Queen Anne Hill here. And we'd go on Friday nights and all the children went up in this loft and laid there and rested. And there was music, amazing music. And everybody was singing and there's, you know, tea passed out to people. It was just like so idyllic.
1: Davy, if she had any regrets about having married my dad and living out her 20s in the woods. I feel
2: fortunate to have um, had an opportunity to live in a world that had been blasted apart uh, socially and to uh, get to explore things for myself.
1: And finally, I asked her the question I was dying to know. Why did they get divorced? Like, I don't know how he would say it happened, but he
2: seemed really to get more and more into himself the more I was exploring other ways of being. But no, we had a good
1: relationship for a really long time. But I pressed further. I asked about the moment she decided to divorce. What I heard was shocking.
2: That was the day I left. He was holding the knife for just for hours and looking at it. and I, I don't think I would ever have left for myself, but I was afraid for the kids, and that was it. And it turned out, I think, being the best thing for everyone. It inspired him to figure out how to take care of himself. It inspired me to figure out how to take care of myself and my children and live a good life.
1: long week in Seattle listening to stories. I headed over to Discovery Park. I hopped a fence and sat at the westernmost point, twirling a green rock in my hand. I couldn't get the image of my dad holding a knife out of my head. During my last interview of my dad in Philadelphia, I had pushed him to tell me memories he was ashamed of, and he refused
0: you don't, you don't need to hear all the shit that I've done. You can't go fix something from 35 years ago.
1: The dirt and grit of the past had settled. Not just for him, but everyone I talked to.
0: I am befuddled um, because there are, there are no answers to your questions. Because there was no reflection on your questions being an adult and being responsible and wrestling with hard things in a metaphorical way that I wasn't aware of what that meant. But uh, as I said, I didn't really become an adult until I was in my 40s.
1: Family, it seems to me, is loving people despite their flaws, recognizing and inhabiting the gray space. Underneath the veneer of morally polished people, Lay's reality. I had gone out in search of one truth, asking every question I could think of. But I heard many different truths instead.